iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. Hi, everybody. This is the Monday edition of The Ruck, our top-rating podcast. Hang on. Is it top-rating? Well, I know a couple of people listen to it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Ruck, the top-rating podcast. All the others are rubbish. There are only two teams left, though, in this World Cup. England, so New Zealand, something? South Africa. And South Africa. Yeah, Sorry, no, we're on the ball on this podcast. There's only two teams that I knew it was someone from that area. There are two teams left in the World Cup. Lawrence is not in charge today. He's not in the chair. He missed the last podcast. The official line we're giving out today is that he is on a Land Rover day somewhere in Japan. I can let you into a secret. He's serving a one-match ban for appalling <laughs> behaviour. Two teams left. Let me introduce the panel. Owen Slot, you all know of the times. My colleague David Walsh. My great friend Gavin Rich, who's going to give us a South African perspective. Uh, Gavin is covering the tour for Supersport, but has written uh, books and appeared on basically every paper and website there's ever been in South Africa, Gab, would you say that? Probably. Also, Alex Lowe, the hardest working man in journalism anywhere. <laughs> now, there's a competition now, because I happen to know what time you guys turned it in last night at the end of work. Can anyone beat, can you beat 3.30, Alex? Not quite last night, no. Gavin was 3.30. 3.30. But you were almost there, because oh, loyally I sat with you, you till did, you finished. You did, yeah, in the lobby at the hotel. Yeah. Yeah, I was 3.30 the night before, so we could get Ben Spencer... Right. Being called up into the Sunday Times. Okay. Well, that was also because you've been in the pub until three o'clock. Though, wasn't <coughs> it? Slotty. That's not Slotty. very nice, Slotty. You, you were there backing him up. You already gone to bed. <laughs> David, England and South Africa. What sort of final is that in terms of the global game? At least it's north versus south. Is it between the two best teams in the competition? Yes, I think it is. I mean, South Africa did win the championship this year. You know, they're equivalent of the Six Nations, I suppose. I'm looking forward to it, but in a qualified way, because I think the way the Springboks have played in the quarterfinal and semi-final is the way they're going to play in the final, and I don't think it's going to be a feast of attacking rugby. No feast of attacking rugby, Slotty. We had a feast of attacking rugby last Saturday. We'll come back to that in a minute. Do you share David's reservations? Yeah, I, I think David's right that it, in what we should expect from the Springboks. I don't, don't know if Gavin would agree with that. I think when we saw the box on tour a year ago, they had a, a much wider game. And it seems to me that the closer they got to the World Cup final, it's just got narrower and narrower. Maybe that's they've gone back to what they feel they do best. Uh, I think that, that gives the, the World Cup final a kind of 
a great narrative in that that South Africa's sort of physical strength was too much for for the lovely Japan team that the the world fell in love with. Now, can a can a more expansive England escape the the, the brute strength of, of South Africa? It's, to, to call it Beauty and the Beast is... is um, Flatters England. Exactly what I was going to say. Uh, that was the word I was looking for. It does flatter England. But, but, but there's a half-decent-looking bird against the beast. Huh? Yeah, Alex, um, what, what are you expecting? Uh, we've come back to the final at the end of the week. What are you expecting? And obviously the pulse is racing because England are in it. What, what are you expecting? We'll, we'll give Gavin the last word well, on uh, South Africa. The, the pulse is racing. We, we all watch a hell of a lot of rugby, and certainly in the last... Six weeks we watched a huge amount of rugby and yet casting the mind back to that game and the way that Lil England played in it still sets the pulse racing now. Mm. It was just, it was phenomenal, a phenomenal performance. I'm interested to see tactically what Eddie Jones changes. He has he developed one game plan to play Australia and they and England smashed them. He developed another game plan to play New Zealand and it was by common consent one of the greatest England performances. And talking to some of the 2003 players, they all say that performance was better than anything mm. that our team ever delivered. Mm. But he'll have to do something different again to play the Springboks. So I, I, what is the most interesting thing for me this week is selection and game plan from England. And, and I can't predict which way he's going to go at the moment because there are two... The 10 to 13 for England has been the kind of the, the theme throughout this this tournament. Who does, it, does he play Ford, Farrell, Manu? Or does he mm. play Farrell, Manu, Slade? And there are strong arguments for either in, in, in this week. And... And it'll depend on on the, all the notes he took at at the stadium yesterday as he was there with with, with his pen and paper studying the the spring box. So I'm sitting on the fence a little bit because I can't give you a, a distinctive answer. But that that's what I'm most interested in this week is how he approaches it. Can I just bust in for a minute though, Jonesy? Yes. Because well, Alex, I'm, I'm with, I'm with no, I know that's why I asked to butt in. I'm okay. trying to be respectful. Right, go on, go on. We, Eddie Jones said he forgot his pen to, when he went to the game, didn't he? Well, he did say that. He but said I'm he sure wrote I... it down on, on on his phone. He did say that. I saw. I'm just being a bit anal there. But you okay. said what he put down on his pen and paper. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure yeah. that the... this is a podcast of record. It is okay. Well, I'm pretty sure that when he was flash up on the big screen, he was scribbling on, with a pen and paper. G- Gavin, uh, the Springboks yesterday against Wales, the first sort of half an hour, and even the first half, that blind me. This is they're going to crash through. This could be twenty points, thirty points. In the end, they were scrabbling to win it. Wales were going, were driving forward in the last twenty minutes, and trying to get in position for a penalty or a drop goal. Think, hang on, they're going to all the stuff they did in the first half is going to go to waste. Can they play the same game against England, or do they have to change style and personnel? Uh, I think they do have to change their style, and I do think that Teresa Erasmus and I hate saying this because I might be giving a game away, but. But I do think look, they're never going to become New Zealand. They're not going to suddenly overnight play like New Zealand or Australia or, or like Japan. But I'd be surprised if they would be as conservative, for want of a better word, in these last in this last game as they, as they have been in the last two games. And I'll tell you why, is that I've always had the impression that they, they took an, a horses-for-courses approach for these to these last two games. They felt that to play against... Because, you know, speaking to Rossi from way back, he always said to me that Scotland would lose to Japan because they'll try to play too much rugby against them. And he and he was saying the same thing about about Wales to some extent. He he thinks that Wales have, have, a, have a game plan that's very similar to the type that South Africa have, and he felt that to play against Wales, you needed to just be to be more patient than them. Mm. And that's what they did. It nearly backfired on them. Yesterday's game, to me, to some extent, reminded me of the, of the 2007 World Cup final in the sense that it was mm. almost as if, like, OK, we've got this game, we'll keep them at arm's length. And there's so much talk in the, in the South African camp about the pressure of 
the final stages of the World Cup. Mm. And that when you get to the final stages of the World Cup, nobody plays any rugby. And there's been so much talk about it that I wonder whether they're trying to set people up because Rusty doesn't normally give his, his, his game. And last night when he was talking, I think he, he said he, we're going to ground it out. I think those were his words. Those were so his words, yeah. Those were his words. And, and, and yet, if you speak to some of the other coaches, and I'll take myself back a couple of weeks to after Yokohama, the, the first game against the All Blacks, there was a sort of consensus there that we have to grow our game a bit. And mm-hmm. they tried to do that in the pool phases. It's only once we got to the quarterfinals. And in the two quarterfinals that we've played, we've played against teams where... Where South Africa feel that the policy is not to play rugby. So, in other words, horses well, for yeah. courses. Gavin, you seem to be promising us there an attacking blitz from the no, Springboks. No, 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 no. I said, attacking I said, from all angles. I said, they said definitely won't be like, There's no, no point on the field it, when you kick the ball. It's going to be. Eddie Jones made a point today which reflected what you wrote, your immediate thoughts from the game. I was sitting next to Steve during the game yesterday, and you were saying, talking about the, the, the locks in particular, that the locks that finish the game should start the final. And Eddie said today that he felt that New Zealand, uh, that South Africa, excuse me, finished with their stronger team in the semi-final, yeah, right. which which plays into what you're saying about their managing their way through. Well, this I, I, I thought their outside flanker came on and, and transformed. But d- yeah, d- yeah. D- David, let's, let's just um, go back a little bit because uh, this is the first appearance on the ruck for any of us since that game. Let's just go back to England, New Zealand. I know you studied it. We, we were both struck by it at the time. And then in the aftermath, we were even more struck by it. But then next day, you watched it again, and you were even more struck by it yeah. again. Because you, you saw stuff that was more brilliant than we thought yeah, at the well, time. Well, often when you watch a game a second time, you see things that you hadn't noticed the first time. The, my rewatching of the England-New Zealand game wasn't like that. In that, everything that I originally thought, I still thought, but even more emphatically. Yeah. In other words, it seemed to told you it was having a terrific game. Mm. as you were watching it. You go back and you watch it again and you think, my God, he was even better. Yeah. Ditto for, for Sam Underhill, ditto for Tom Curry. I mean, England's big players in that game had huge matches. If I could just make one point about South Africa, I feel that they went out against Japan with an idea that they'd be able to play a relatively expansive game in the first half. I think Japan, by the pace of their game, scare them. I think once the second half started... And Fafta Kirk started kicking, not even kicking well, just getting that left boot in action and putting the ball in the twenty in the in the, mm. in the J- Japan twenty two and then pinning them there. And I think what happened against Wales was a continuation of that. I think they will have to change that to have any chance against England because okay. you can't pick a player like Mepimpi or Nkosi and say, guys, you're basically there to to chase kick. Because that's not what they do well. There was a moment yesterday in the game against um, in in the game against Wales where Wales kicked a decent kick to him. He went back and he started counterattacks about 27, 28 minutes in, and Kosi got involved. They went down the right side. Fafta Clerk ends up getting an inside pass that almost breaches the Welsh defence. And you think, my God. These South African guys, they really can play, but they're not being allowed to play with this system. I mean, my image of this South African team now, if, you, if, if I distilled it into one image, it would be Fafta planting that right boot and swinging his left boot. It's just, that's what they do, and they've got to do more. Right. Oh, Owen, oh, um, we, we are still excited on Sunday about the England performance. Let's just go back to that a second. Usually we're not even excited on Saturday about the, about the England performance. <laughs> this time it's still it's still lasting. What are your sort of after memories, or what's your how do you look back on all that now? In what I think was the greatest performance I've ever seen by England. 
Yeah, I think we've all been trying to sort of sift through it and, and give it some sort of frame of comparison, if you like. I watched it back the following day, and I kind of echo what David says. When we watched it at the time, so when we were watching it at the time, I, I guess we were all probably the same. I guess everyone who watched it at home probably thought the same. We were so accustomed to the narrative that you might lay some punches on the All Blacks. They might concede a try, but at some point they're going to come back and get you. At some point they'll get you. And it was only in about the 65th minute when when there was a, a turnover of a penalty. The All Blacks, had, had they'd been pent up, frustrated. They conceded a penalty. It was only at that point I thought, actually, they're just not going to. They're, they're not going to get England because they're not actually close to England and they're really cross about it and they can't handle it. And, and when you watch it back for the second time, when you know, when you know the outcome, you see all that panning yeah. out and you know how far away they are through the think, whole game. I, I, that's a great point because in the game, remember, we were all kind of tapping away. We got to file live um, copy for the, for the website. And one of the things that I was beginning to, to, to make notes on was the, with the amount of times that England got into New Zealand's 22 and didn't come away with points. How's that? That's the bell. That's the wine arrived. <laughs> and and um, the number of times they got into New Zealand red zone and didn't come away with points. And I was beginning to think that that was going to cost them in the end because yeah. you can't waste yeah. we were saying those, the same thing you can't waste yeah. those chances against the All Blacks yeah. and, and then as Softy says when you watch it back and you see that although they didn't get the points they were in mm. such control and New Zealand weren't being allowed to to influence any control on the match. I mean, they were, they'd flash downfield now and again, but yeah. England would, would gang tackle them into touch. Were you ever, like Slotty, worried that the All Blacks were going to come back? Yeah, I think always, because mm. they're the All Blacks and we're conditioned to believe that they don't get comprehensively outplayed. Yeah. Mm. We, we'd never seen it but by yeah. any team. I thought England, though, were brilliant in, in so many kind of minute little detailed respects. They knew they needed a score before half-time because seven points just didn't reflect what they had done in the first half. And they think, even if we can get a penalty. And what happens in the 38 minutes? The All Blacks have possession. Tom Curry makes a great turnover at a mm. ruck. The All Blacks get it back quickly. A big England kick and all the All Blacks attack again. Sam Underhill makes a great turnover. Those two turnovers at rucks happened within a minute and a half of each other. From the second one, England get a penalty. 10-0 was a huge difference to 7 0 Just careful with that cork. We can't give Lawrence stick for drinking and then he's a great big son of a cork. Just on what you're saying about the All Blacks and why you expect them to come back. I mean, obviously, being South African, we, we see the All Blacks play against the Springboks more than you, you see yeah. them play against England. And South Africa have a long history, and so do Australia probably to some extent, of being in winning positions and then the All Blacks coming back from, from the dead. I mean, mm. I was at, I think, uh, what they call it, the F&B Stadium, where they played the soccer final in 2010 when John Smith was playing his 100th game. And South Africa were winning that game and they were two scores ahead. And then suddenly they were, suddenly the All Blacks came back into a position where they could draw the game and we all thought, God, they're going to draw the game. Yes. They didn't draw the game, they actually won it. They, they scored a try with a minute to go and then they scored a winning try on the final whistle. Last year at Loftus, I don't know if you guys remember the game in Pretoria. Everybody remembers the one in Wellington where South Africa won. But the game in Pretoria, we actually bossed them for about 60 minutes of that game, mm. maybe 65 minutes. And we were leading comfortably. And we were, we were South Africa. We were, winning, we were winning that game quite comfortably. And then they came back right at the end. And they won it from, I think it was about a 14-point deficit, is what you guys are saying, is that you've seen this movie before. You've seen the All Blacks yes. come back. Yeah. And they they are very good at, at at finishing a game. They are very good at at, at upping the tempo in the last. 
20, admittedly in the Southern Hemisphere competitions where maybe it is a different well, type of game. Remember the Ryan Crotty try in Dublin mm. when mm. Ireland mm. had the game won in the last that, play yeah. of the game. That's yeah. true. They, they, that they, they, come, they come late, but also um, when you look back on it, with a benefit hindsight, some of those players out there would, would not really top-class All Blacks. And I think that England did what no one has done for years and that is expose the fact that they have great players, great systems, good coaching. They're all on the same wavelength, but individually, some of them come up short. And there were people in the backs that didn't rate. There were there, there was a one-man back row of Adi Surveyor playing playing them on his own. Sam Whitelock w- w- was poor. The scrum are not that great. Cody Taylor's nothing like as good as Dane Coles was at his best. And I think they were exposed. I hear today that the rumours that... Um, England team, especially Joe Marr, are going to be fine for disrespecting the hacker. It's something like called cultural disrespect. And if I could use the word bull on, on this show, <laughs> on, I would. What an absolute disgrace. A world rugby ought to take no notice of it whatsoever. Joe Marr's thing was, was good. And all the people who advance on the hacker should be allowed. If they're not allowed... Don't have the stupid dance. As Richard Williams said, it is now a collection of about 25 bits of different hackers. It's got no cultural significance. It is an instrument of war done by the All Blacks. And the more people take the out of it, the better. Yeah, see, Can I just it, disagree it, with that? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I would as well. I, 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 I love the hacker. I mean, I, yeah. I, I like the fact that, that England came up with a good way of responding to it. I think it's a great part of the drama. Why the did sport? the Welsh Rugby Union not claim cultural... Um, infringement when they said to the All Blacks, look, we're looking forward to the hacker, but we are the home team, we set the programme, and the Welsh National Anthem will take place after your dance. They pouted, they, they, they got illegal tickets to get uh, an idiot of a cameraman to the dressing room, and they did it in their, in their um, own dressing room. They gave the films out. They looked like a bunch of spoiled kids. See, Steve, it may be, you know, from an all-black point of view, I'm sure that they would say it's a, it's a hugely significant cultural kind of event. And they may use it as part of their psychological build-up to the game. But what World Rugby is doing and what rugby as a sport is doing is using the hacker as a c- commercial instrument. It, it sells the game. People who don't watch rugby watch the hacker. They do. Yeah. If, if World Rugby want to find England, they might also want to remove... From their own YouTube channel, the video of of England's response titled "England's Incredible Response to the Hacker." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Anyway, I'm sorry you guys are all against the hacker. When I give it my full, full support like that, just, I know from a South African viewpoint, just having spoken to the guys for this latest book, I did. Yeah. They all spoke about how they they feel that you've got to respect the hacker, and they enjoy doing, it and, and it motivates them. Well, whenever you whenever you go to Ireland, they sing the fields of Athen Ryan drown it out. Ditto, uh, we, ditto, ditto we, we, we sing Olay Olay Olay, and I always think it's the art. Yeah, that, 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 tell you what, the other thing is, what a great song that is. Olay Olay Olay. <laughs> Words by uh, well, music no, by Irving Berlin. I'm not okay. proud of it as a yeah, South see, African. Just about. <laughs> You know this feeling we all had that the All Blacks would pull something out, would somehow at least make the game competitive. My abiding memory of the last fist being smashed into the All Black face, to use a, a bad analogy, was that that kick and Henry Slade chases it and Jordy Barrett gets it. And you know, the All Blacks have just scored. They've just got themselves maybe thinking they can turn this game round. Mm. And Sam Underhill chases and he mm. watches, sees that Jordy Barrett is going to sidestep lines him up and bang. And what happened then, of course, he, the, the hit is so hard, he drops the ball. Jordy Barris gets swept back into in, into Angus Tawavau. Tawav, mm. And, and Tawavau's standing there, this kind of mountain of a man, 
And he's got Jordy Barrett smashed into him. And I just thought, wow, this mm. game is not turning around. Mm. Careful with your pronunciation of uh, island names. You might be done for cultural uh, uh, disrespect. Yes. <laughs> VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. And finally, we've located Lawrence. Let's hear what he has to say about England, New Zealand. What a special night in Yokohama for England and what a special performance. It was a complete performance, convincing right from the very first whistle and uh, probably ranks up there as, as the best England test performance of all time. And I know it's only a World Cup semi-final, but if you think about what was at stake and you think about the, the quality of the opposition... You have to say that it uh, was better than anything we managed to produce um, in 2003. And in successive weeks now against Australia and New Zealand, Eddie Jones has kind of delivered a, a real tactical masterclass, or, or rather two quite different masterclasses. The, the common thread you know, seems to be taking into account the opposition's strengths and, and really putting together a game plan that, that England could go and put out there. And I think what was so impressive from this England team was that they took that game plan on both occasions and they executed it almost to perfection. I've always said that the uh, best sides are kind of coach-led and player-driven and maybe in the early days of Eddie Jones' tenure you could have argued that maybe they were a little bit too much coach-led but certainly in in this World Cup the players have really taken those game plans onto the field and, and really driven those performances. They were calm, they were composed, they were clinical, and when they got their foot on the All Blacks' throat, they really pressed it hard, apart from, you know, that soft try, which they um, gift-wrapped to New Zealand, it, you know, they it was probably the most significant and resounding win that we've had in, in an England shirt since 2003, and listen, they're on a, a real journey of discovery at the moment, finding out how good, you know, they can be, and clearly in the there's going to be lots of distraction, lots of noise this week, lots of fans arriving. But, you know, there seems to be a serenity about this England team, uh, a trust uh, that they have between the players and the coaches that makes me confident that they can take this victory in their stride and, 
regather themselves for the uh, for the final against South Africa. Guys, Wales bowed up last night in the last four. They were taken uh, or they were beaten late on by a, a Springbok surge, which they could do nothing about. Arthur, Wales, how do you see their World Cup? I think Wales hit a couple of peaks. I thought their, their game against Australia, their performance that first half against Australia was was spectacular. They just don't have the the depth of other nations, and and they were without a player or two, two key players before they came away. In Gareth Anscombe and, and Toby Falatau, and, and even had they won today, they'd have reached, they'd have limped into the final, having lost more key players. But I think what Warren Gatland is 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 very good at is getting getting the best out of that group. We've spoken about that before on on the podcast, and and I actually think <coughs> on a, on a broader, I'm not really answering your question directly, but but more more broadly, Warren Gatland's got what one game left. But when you look at his record in taking Wales to two semi-finals. And a quarter final, and the All Blacks are the only team he hasn't beaten with Wales. Yes, when you look at the, their record in the say ten years before that, I think he's done a, a sensational job. Gav, were you worried that Wales were going to beat South Africa late on yesterday? No, uh, to, to be honest, not until I think they gave away a penalty straight after the try. And then it looked as if they might be yeah. losing it a bit. It looked mm. as if they might be panicking a bit, and and then, but then they then they recovered. They turned it around. Before the game, I was worried more than I think most of my colleagues were, just right. because I could see the game that happened yesterday was exactly what I expected. Right. That's playing against well, one. That's why I think oh, it, no. we, need, we need this man at Cheltenham Festival. That's why. That's why. I, that, that's that's why I think that the game's going to be different on Sunday because South Africa play mm. differently against England okay. um, than, they, than they do against Wales. But yesterday's game, just the way they were talking during the week and speaking to the players, and it was always about their kicking game and that they kick long and that we can't run at them from, from deep because they've got one of the best defensive systems and so has South Africa, of course. So it was it was always going to be that kind of game. And the last couple of games that South Africa have played them have been like that. And there's one game that was particularly forgettable was I think it was okay it was actually prior to the previous World Cup I think it was 2014 I think there was about a 9-6 or a 9-8 I always remember that game almost as a sort of as an example of South Africa against Wales in the Warren Gatland era come the Russia Erasmus era yeah. now and Haney Kamea so, Alistair could see it was different he tried to play rugby against Wales and they so, you, you, so you remember that uh, instantly forgettable game yeah well, <laughs> I'm, yeah. Oh, in Wales in brief, I just can't get away from the fact that there were four semi-finalists, which is a tradition in World Cups. Uh, of the four <laughs> semi-finalists, only one team w- was shattered by injuries, and it was the team with the least depth. It is a bit pathetic to say so, but I just, I just feel that they were they were stripped of, of a chance that, that they deserved, and it's, and it's fortune, it's lady luck. But I would love to have seen Wales at their strength giving that a go, yeah. and we didn't. David. Yeah. yeah. But, but- I felt sorry for Wales for one reason, not for last night, because I didn't think Wales played enough rugby, neither did South Africa. You could say it was a, a gripping conclusion, but it wasn't a great rugby match. One of the lesser semi-finals I've ever seen. Where I feel sorry for Wales, in the last three World Cups, they've gone out very narrow margins. And, and mm. no team has been involved in three consecutive World Cup matches that have been really tight and lost all three. That's how I feel sorry for them. It's a really interesting... I watched the game again today and um, I was alarmed at how much value the, the Springboks got from attacking down Dan Bigger's channel. Because Dan Bigger, Alex, this is the point you made during the match last night when we were watching it. He said, well, he always tackles high. I think he tackles high more now than he used to, although he, he certainly did in the past. But every time the All Blacks ran at him, 
the All Black, uh, sorry, the Springboks, they gained 15, 20 yards and the penalty came from it, three points there. And I was thinking, it's going to raise a question for Eddie Jones. Does Eddie yeah. put George Ford in that channel or does he go back to Owen Farrell? And I, because that, if you, if you said to me, where did the Springboks have an advantage last night? That was the key advantage. They just got easy yards every time they went at Dan Bigger. And the, the, the try, of course, was Dan going mm-hmm. high again and not getting his man. You're going to have to let me have the last word because I'm from Rogerstoke in the Western Valley of Wales. And um, it's very rare. I always feel Welshness when I go there to visit my late mother. Well, I don't not visit my late mother when I, before she died. Um, and when I go around the, in the mountains and the, what used to be the coal field, Last night I felt my Welshness more than I've ever done at a rugby match in my whole life because um, Welsh rugby is on its backside. They've got four professional teams who have not had a significant win for about 10 years. And a lot of that Welsh team yesterday have won more games, even the youngsters, they've won more games in a Welsh jersey than they have for their clubs. I think Alan Wynne-Jones has won more games in a Welsh jersey than he has for the Ospreys. Wow. And this is this is a, t- a country which thrived on its massive big town clubs. Three things. First of all, I would have loved to see Liam Williams there last night, not Lee Halfpenny. Secondly, I knew Wales would not win the World Cup and probably not reach the final the day that Falatau was hurt because he is the one outrageous all-time great that they have, greater than Mervyn Davis. And, and, and thirdly... What Gatland has done on in making bricks without straw is absolutely colossal because Welsh rugby is on its backside. And yesterday, they, uh, Alex, you said he could have limped into the final. They were happy to limp into the final. Of course. Because they've yeah. been limping for ages. Is um, the last word? Are we allowed to say now? Go on then. Oh, I just thought it was a good last word. Well, thank you very much. But what about <laughs> what about George Forder or Owen Farrell at ten? David's brought up an interesting point there, and I think it's basically rotor system. It's George Ford, then Farrell, George Ford, Farrell. <laughs> what do you think about George Ford? You'd hate him in South Africa. Your your fly half has got to be six foot ten, yeah. a muscular, um, a bit like uh, Andre Pollard, a muscular ex flanker or ex number eight. He's, he's, he's survived longer than I thought he would, to be honest, and he, but he's a much better player than I thought he was as well. George Ford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, um, he's no, he's. I, th- I think he's done well. I think if I was Eddie Jones, I would keep Talagi at, at 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 thirteen. I think he's really good there, and I think that that that's um, using that as the sort of contact point works for England. Alex, you you you're, you've got your, your ear to the ground here. At least you would have done if you weren't up till half past three. <laughs> but um, where do, where are they going to go? They're not. Are they going to go back to Farrell? I mean, it's, it's early in the week. England haven't even trained yet this week. I, I think it's a massive call to not start with Ford, but. I think England will bat themselves to be able to have the width and the creativity behind their big ball carriers with Farrell at 10 and Slade at 13 and have and use Manu as a, as a battering ram and a decoy along with the, the Vunapola brothers. So I, if I had to put money on it, I'd say he'll go Farrell at 10 and then use Daly and Slade to, to try and keep the, the play quick and wide and move the box around. Owen? I completely agree. I think he'll go back to Farrell. The, the justification for, for not playing uh, George Ford against Australia was because uh, Karevi could uh, run down his channel all day and, and um, make gains. I think they're more, there's more power running at George Ford. David, George Ford, Owen Farrell, to play for your life. For me, 
I would definitely start with George Ford. Mm. And the reason I would, I, would, I would want England to start with George Ford is I want England to back themselves. What we saw in the semi-final was the greatest ever Good performance point. we've seen. Better than anything that the 2003 team produced on a one-off basis. Now, George Ford also gives you a slightly better kicking game. And yep. if you're going to play mm. against the Springboks, you're going to have to kick a certain amount. So you have the advantage of, 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 of George better kicking game and I think he's a better distributor he's a better playmaker the disadvantage is it's not that George is a bad defender he doesn't tackle he does tackle mm. and I mean he was joint leading tackler in the game against the All Blacks with Owen Farrell um, but they're of course not dominant, it, are they? it, they're not dominant mm. no but but you know what there's a lot of really good physical players around uh, around George Ford and I'd be saying Let's not worry about what George doesn't do brilliantly. Let's pick him for what he does really. I think that's, well, I think, well, I think that's a really strong argument. There's a very strong argument for going both ways. I'm I'm pretty sure that from what we've seen of England in, in the quarterfinal and the semi-final, if, if Eddie Jones picks Farrell to Lange Slade, it won't be a reactive decision. It'll be aware of Deerlande and, and the power but it will be because he thinks that's the best way that England can move the Springboks around and and play a bit wider. But I, I take the point that the Ford's kicking game in this World Cup has been extraordinarily good. Right, I'll, I'll have the last word again on Ford and Farrell. Uh, someone <laughs> from the RFU's digital website uh, sent a tweet out yesterday saying that Stephen Jones ought to, ought to um, issue a uh, apology for his attack on the Ford and Farrell thing on the ruck last week. Sonny, stick to your idiot clips. Um, <laughs> Gavin is going to have the last one. I just wanted to ask, last to ask a question because like, nobody's really talking about the England defence. And I think that, to me, what actually won that game was the, is the defence. I know they've moved the, the, the right. ball around and they, they shot the All Blacks, I think, with the tempo of their game early. But that defensive system... And that's actually what the Springboks' big strength at the moment is a defensive system. And if you ask me, when did the All Blacks start to go on the wane? I would say that it was actually the 2017 Lions series when they also struggled with with mm-hmm. a sort of like a press yeah. defense. That to me is, I mean, I read a piece like that yesterday, that to me that was where it, where, where it started to change. Was, yeah. was the, the, Lions, yeah. the Lions actually exposed them and then the Springboks carried it on last year when they, when they won a really yeah. Real tactical insight from Gavin there. Yeah. We've never had that before. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's a lot. That's a beast coming on. Yeah. Could I just, Thanks, Gav. Off could we I, go. Could I, could I just say as an Irishman that I'm really pleased that we got the All Blacks on the wane. <laughs> <laughs> One more question. We've got a a few days to go of an unbelievable experience. Just want to go around you just once and say, how do you expect to? You know, we're going to have another chance to give a verdict on England and South Africa and the whole tournament. We're going to have a couple more chances. In fact, we're going to we're just going to go around now and say, so far, what how's it been for you? And do we think that at the end of this tournament we will go home joyous about rugby, Alex? Been a wonderful experience. I think Japan have hosted a, a superb World Cup and it's been illuminated by their own team and mm. there's no way that wh- whoever wins on on Saturday that, that I won't go home having felt honoured to have been here and to experience what I think has been a, a really exciting, it's felt quite an exotic World Cup because of it's, it's a place I'd never been before. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'll certainly feel feel uh, joyous about rugby when I head home. Gavin, um, I'm not uh, uh, completely serious here. My favourite rugby country is South Africa and always has been the country itself, all its problems, but 
all its panoply and the, and the affection for the game. Um, but you know, Japan's now rising up. It's still, still South Africa in my heart. But have you loved this tournament? Absolutely. It's been great. I mean, you talk, you talk about you talk about South Africa. You talk about the 1995 World Cup. And I suppose you could talk about the triumph of the human spirit and how it brought people together and things like that. And we've had the natural disasters and, well, the threatened national disasters, natural disasters and, and things like that, that that have sort of had, had, a, had a say in the World Cup. Like playing mm. games have been have been cancelled and that, and that sort of thing. But, but you know, they've still managed to get around that. And I just think it's been a fantastic World Cup. I really mm. have enjoyed being here. And I was told by some of, because we've got a lot of South African players who play over here and, and coaches. And I was told seven weeks in, the, in Japan is a long time. You're not going to enjoy it. You're going to be wanting to go home. I don't want to go home. No, I don't want to go home. I either. want to stay. I want to, I want to stay here next week. I don't want to go home at all. Our wives don't listen to this, do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> Owen, we're going to give David the last word because he's going to have it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you, Steve. <laughs> yeah, well, well, two things. I, I keep on getting asked back because of my karaoke skills. Um, and uh, I think skill singular. Uh, yeah, well, whichever way. And um, uh, and well, I've had two, two re- really life sort of uh, standout uh, rugby moments or rugby matches. I saw I saw um, Japan beat Scotland, and then on Saturday I saw England beat the All Blacks. And and of all the games I've seen, they've got to be up in my top five, top two, maybe. They're just wonderful. I'll take that home. That that was enough in itself. David, you've really got into this experience. You've travelled. You, you stayed at you for the whole thing. When arguably, as as our chief sports writer, you know, you could have gone back to do other things. You stayed here for the distance. What's it been like so far for you? I thought after after ninety five, and I'm old enough to have done every rugby world cup. After ninety five, I thought I will never enjoy a rugby world cup mm. as much as I enjoyed the South African world cup. I've enjoyed this more, but I don't think it's been just the rugby. I, I think I've enjoyed this more because it's been in Japan, which has been an amazing host. And it's been, I think for all of us, it's been a just something we never thought we would hear ourselves saying. It's been an amazing cultural experience. I do think, and I know this is quite harsh, and I've always been a, a Springbok fan in a way, but I do think this World Cup needs England to win because I think England came here to play a really well-balanced, attacking, positive 15-man game of rugby and maybe the Springboks came with that intention but it's not what they've done and if if the Springboks were to grind down England and win a dour kind of 12-9 Rugby World Cup final I think I'd go home a little different. Gav, you'll be gutted if they have to win 12-9 in the Springboks in, in the final, be fair. I don't think, I don't think, it, I don't, well, look, I mean, that's but possible. You, that is possible. I mean, it's possible it'll be an ugly you'll game. Be, you'll be gutted though, if you know. If no, if the, if the Springboks, look, if the Springboks, the way the Springboks are playing isn't isn't popular back home. Hmm. I mean, the Springboks are being pilloried at the moment. Oh, I mean, for, and they've just They're made the, the final. They've just made the World Cup final, and and, and, and if you look at people, and if you look at and if you look at where they were two years ago when they lost fifty seven nil to the All Blacks, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know what what Russia's done is is astounding. And as hmm. I say, it's, this is just part of you know the progress towards something else. I mean, I think he wants to make us. Uh, sorry, South Africa, the sort of consistent, sort of like top two in the world again. No, the last, last, last word goes no, to Alex. No, just because I started, and, and since everyone else had a had a chat, Dave, David's point about um, about it being here just sparks a couple of memories away from the rugby. Stotty's right; those those games, some of the games that will live with everyone forever. But there's been small moments as well, and, and we had one at the weekend, walking down from the station. 
and there's lines of school kids handing out leaflets with with the lyrics to the national anthems on and high-fiving all the rugby fans as they went through. The volunteers have just been kind of at the life and soul, seeing stadiums full, like when Japan play, of of uh, cherry and white hoop shirts, and mm. you know, they've sold out of those jerseys. And there have been so many sights and sounds around the World Cup, over and above how incredible some of the rugby's been. That is why... It's made it such a special experience. Thank you very much, guys. I'd like to thank Owen and Gavin and Alex and David. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with a big um, uh, another look at uh, the Ford and Farrell access. Um, it's been lovely to meet fans out here, lovely to meet um, people who are listening to the Ruck. Our, um, our figures for the Ruck are sensational. The week when David appeared, and that's obviously something to do with it, they were really at record levels. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back on Thursday. <laughs>Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.